You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Having purpose in every single moment is something that I try and focus on a lot. That was Dirk Frell. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I hope you had an awesome week. Have you signed up for our big wellness giveaway yet? Head over to the Marnie on the Move Instagram or website to learn more. Today on the podcast, I sync up with Dirk Frell. Dirk is the co-founder of Training Peaks, the host of the CoachCast podcast. He is the U.S. Ski Mountaineering 2020 Masters Champ. And before that, he was a pro cyclist. Training Peaks is one of my favorite training tools. I definitely mention it in most athlete-centric conversations on this podcast. If you're not familiar, it is the ultimate training tool and digital platform for athletes and coaches to plan their training, set goals, measure, and track data and progress. It is compatible with over 100 fitness apps and devices, including Garmin, Strava, your Apple Watch, Swift, and so much more. If you are new to the world of data tracking, insight, and analytics, Training Peaks is game-changing for optimizing your performance and offers a great visual dashboard into all of it. They also have an incredible database of training programs for many sports and athletes of all levels, including, but not limited to, running, triathlon, and cycling. This is Dirk's second appearance on the Marnie on the Move podcast. We caught up back on episode 117. Today, Dirk and I sync up about what's new at Training Peaks, where it began, and how it has grown over the years. We also talk about the training currently fueling him for success as he's gearing up for another season of Schemo this winter. We talk about where he's at with his cycling, and since he spends a good amount of time outdoors training in Colorado, I get some terrific layering tips and advice. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. And use our code CHEERSMARNIE for 25% off. Now, on to my conversation with Dirk. Last time we connected on the podcast was July 2020. And we were talking about the 2021 Olympics and training when there was no races and how you were navigating training and all of your goals in a pandemic climate and now racing, travel, 
all of that is back and life is moving forward. So what are you training for right now? Always training for something. I always have to have something on the calendar. Right now, I'm definitely at the beginning of my ski season and it's ski mountaineering and a lot of people refer to it as schemo. And it's actually, since we last spoke, which is really unique, this sport has actually become an Olympic sport. So it's now getting more legitimized and it's in 2026 Olympics in Milan. Um, so, you know, there's always been a USA ski mountaineering association, but now it's getting more, you know, legit. And there's a process to qualify for the Olympics, et cetera, which obviously I'm not anywhere near fast enough for any of that. You're a master's champion. You're the yeah. US national master's <laughs> champion for 2020. So, I mean, I don't yeah. know. Won the last two national championships for masters. So that's definitely a big goal. I'd say for this year, that's in March. It's always early March is, um, kind of that, that race. And that's an Aspen. It's called the power of four. I actually have two races next week. So I have a local training race Tuesday morning. And then our first big kind of national point series race is next Sunday. Yeah, kind of prepping for that. And it's really strange. Also, just, just a strange year right now for skiing because we have set a record for our latest snowfall ever. We still have no snow in Denver or Boulder. And the previous record was November 21st. And here we are early December and we still have zero snow. And it's 70 degrees every day. I'm shorts oh and short sleeves, 70 degrees, like amazing. Like it's great for cycling, great for running but it's really sad for the winter sports. So I'm preparing for the ski season. And so really what I'm doing right now is I'm focusing on runs. You know, I'm doing threshold runs. Um, today is a, like a VO2 max type of effort run. So I only do like two days a week of intervals, you know, running. Okay. And then it's kind of the 80, 20, you know, rule. I'm so challenged by that print, that whole concept. It's a, you definitely have to be somewhat disciplined in that there it's kind of like polar opposites you know yeah. you're going like steady mellow easy or that makes the hard days harder you know and most people right. trend in the middle and most every yes. day looks the same and so certainly studies have shown you know the you can get more fitness and better results the more I guess, um, broad your training paces are right. Yes. So the more homogenous the training and eh, the more you plateau, the less you really kind of peak. So I really kind of sit out, I sit down like on Sundays and I say, okay, what days this week, where's it best to kind of put in my, my intensity days. And then I try and stick to that. Um, and just kind of focus on those days. And, and you're doing most of your intensity on your runs not right like now. Yeah. So up, up yeah. through, I, my last bike race gravel race was mid October and that was a hundred mile gravel race. So right after that race is where I started to incorporate more running into my training. So that's typically how it works. I kind of really race bikes kind of June through October. And then I switched to my fall training for ski prep. And then okay. once the snow really starts flying, then I'm on snow you know, four days a week, um, doing a lot of, you know, uphill skiing. I don't ride the chairlift hardly ever. <laughs> and then, and then I start to transition back into cycling, you know, in April, May timeframe. 
So you treat, you do your sports season. Yeah. It really keeps it interesting. You know, I think also it's diversity is good as you age. <laughs> I'm over 50 now and it really rounds out my body. I think cycling more diversity in my training has been good. As yeah. I got older, so many decades of riding the bike really kind of like is too specialized and the bike is all concentric. There's no eccentric, you know, muscle loading. Um, there's no bone health going on at all, you know? So yeah. incorporating running, but not being a full-time runner also keeps me injury-free, you know, knock on wood. Um, yes. I rarely ever run two days in a row. So I, I ran two days ago, then yesterday was my recovery day on the bike. And then I'll run again today. So I kind of, I like alternating, um, the sports. So that's what seems to work for me. Are you still doing any cycling? Yeah, I would say cycling right now are my recovery days. And then yeah. some of my longer days, like I'll do three, four hour rides, but with no intensity. So that'll be like your zone Yeah, too. all my intensity right now is really running because it's more sports specific for, for schemo. And schemo is basically 90% of the time you're, you're running uphill, basically. <laughs> How did you get into that? Was it just like organic from, cause you were also a professional cyclist early on, you know, how did you get into schemo from Well, cycling? being a Colorado boy, you know, you, you are definitely always aware of backcountry skiing and you know that, I mean, me as a cyclist, as an endurance athlete, I just love the endurance endorphins, you know, running uphill, cycling uphill, but I love like the crazy gonzo downhill mountain biking, you know? And so it, it's the same, you know, you're getting the same endurance endorphins, but you have skins on your skis, you have a loose heel and you're, you know, basically walk, race walking uphill. Um, you get to the top transition real quick, like a triathlon, you know, it's all a lot comes down to transitions and how efficient you are in transitions. You transition at the top, you rip off the skin and you, lock in your heel, um, looks like an Alpine, you know, set up going downhill, you know, rigid, uh, boot. It's not a telemark boot. And then you're just like straight lining and going as fast as you can downhill. And, uh, so that it's just, it's all the same vibe as like mountain biking or cycling and all that kind of wrapped up, but it's a different setting. And I also like getting away from cars. I like getting away from people. And so I like exploring. So like mountain biking or gravel riding, where you just like to go out and explore and get away from civilization, you can do that even more so skiing. You are literally off in the woods, you know, with your buddy and just exploring. And that's what's great about where we live here in Colorado is you can kind of just point at any mountain and just go to the top of it, you know? So I think we should do a house trade. Yeah. <laughs> you come in our apartment. We have a beautiful two-bedroom apartment in Battery Park City overlooking the water. There's a pool and you you can come here and hang out and we go to well, Colorado. <laughs> come on up to uh Breckenridge. Uh that's Yeah. That's 10,000 feet above sea level and uh that's some high altitude training up there. We have a place up there, so it's kind of the reason we got it was skiing so much and yeah, it's, that's it's, so cool. It's nice to kind of, I mean, they complement each other, you know, getting up in the mountains away from Boulder, even though Boulder's not a big city, it's nice to yeah. kind of get away. So yeah, I just, I, I guess like when I retired, I retired in 2000 and 
two from pro cycling. You know, my wife and I, we, you know, started a family and I just knew now was the time to kind of start skiing again. And when I was racing professionally, you just never had time to ski. And the, the, the bike season always started in February. You'd go to Arizona in January. You had only December to really ski and skiing in December is not that great. As you can tell, it's warm right now. Right. There's no. Yeah. So. I didn't have a lot of opportunity to ski for a couple of decades when I was racing bikes. And it's always something, you know, there was kind of being a Colorado boy, I always wanted to get back to. And I just love, yeah. you know, that, that sense of going fast, you know, downhill on skis. So, and luckily, you know, in Boulder, we have a place 30 minutes up the Canyon called Eldora and mm-hmm. starting, you know, in like January, February, they have um, evening races. So we'll, we'll race at night, you know, we, we get over hundred people on the start line. Does your wife ski too? Is she into ski? No, she loves the mountains, but she doesn't ski and she lets me do it, which is awesome. That's nice. <laughs> we love traveling to the mountains and, you know, and being in the mountains. So it's always just been something I wanted to get back to. Awesome. And shifting gears. Training Peaks has been at the epicenter of all my training data for racing for over a decade. And so what's new? And what can we see more of? Well, you know, what's funny is that, you know, we cater a lot to the coach. We really are aiming to try and make the coach as efficient as and effective as possible. And really to kind of allow the coach to provide the best quality service they can to their athletes, mm-hmm. which is what we've been doing from day one for 22 years now. So on, on that side, a lot of stuff we've been working at, on is really seen mainly by the coach right now. But on the athlete side, we have something new called athlete availability. So, you know, an athlete can go into their calendar and say, you know, I, I'm on vacation. I can't do training on these days. It might be three days in a row or whatever it might be. Then obviously the coach can see that. And sometimes coaches will load like a, a block of training. It might be three, a three or four week block that they're going to simply like take from their library and add it to your calendar. Well, it's not nice on the coach side now is we actually have notifications back to the coach that warns them like, Hey, you've scheduled a workout on a day when this athlete can't actually train or for this week or whatever it might be. So it's, it, it's really kind of, that's helped the coach better manage their planning for their workouts. Also when an athlete, when an athlete puts um, their unavailable, even if it's four weeks from now, it'll still notify the coach on that day of like, Hey, this, this athlete put in, in the future, at some point they're unavailable for these dates. So if the, if there's something planned, the coach can go in and edit around that. Um, we have coach, well, we have notes in general, so you can add whatever note, you know, I mean, it might be a recipe for rice cakes or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, but notes can be shared between coach and athlete. Um, but coaches can also add notes to a calendar and hide them from the athlete. So there might be something the coach wants to put on the calendar, like, Hey, remind the athlete to do whatever, buy new shoes or whatever it might be right in the future. And they're just placing a note on the calendar that reminds them, um, something about the athlete or it's their birthday or whatever it might be. Right. But coaches can can put notes on the calendar that the athlete can't see. So that's kind of sneaky in a way. And like bigger stuff we've been working on is like really behind the scenes. We've been working on 
kind of an engine, like a planning engine, whereby it'll allow the coach to have their training plans become adaptable. So when, for example, an athlete, you know, if a coach puts a, a training plan on the calendar and then the athlete can't train or they skip a workout, this underlying planning engine can actually take care of those changes going forward on behalf of the coach. But it would use the coach's own methodology to create and make those decisions. Um, and, and we've actually released two products which leverage that technology today, that adaptive technology. Um, and they're in the app store right now, but one of them is called Run With Hal. So Hal Higdon is a pretty famous run coach. So think of these as the next generation training plan. So right now, training plans historically have been you know, static and it's tough to work them into your lifestyle. And if you skip a workout, what should you do? And you need to get advice from the coach that wrote the plan. You know, again, if you skip two workouts, what should you do going forward? Well, um, this Run With Hal app and then another app called Pace. Um, Pace has five coaches. They're all running right now. Um, and those coaches are Matt Fitzgerald, Kara Goucher, Amanda Brooks, uh, Sydney Baptiste, and Greg McMillan. So effectively, they all, they all have um, adaptive training plans now in this app. So our intent is to build this out outside of training peaks, get it really refined, robust, and, and build that um, kind of trust within it, then bring it back within training peaks and allow all of our coaches to leverage that technology with their athletes. So computers in the future should actually be doing more, more of the planning, but it needs to take into account the methodology and the terminology and the workout libraries of their particular coach that they chose. We never ever want the computer to replace the human coach. We believe right. machine learning, artificial intelligence really should be leveraged in our world and in the training peaks world to make the coach better and smarter and faster and hence a better quality service to the athlete. Um, so we're not creating this technology um, to replace the coach. We want to enhance that coach-athlete relationship. But right. these are our first products that are going down that road. And, also, you know, there's really good reviews on them right now. And knock on wood, I you know. I have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. So PACE, and I came up with the name for PACE, and it stands for Personalized Adaptive Coaching for Everybody. <laughs> I love it. So it's not about your pace. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Yeah. But it's going it, to, it'll, we'll start to offer cycling coaches, multi sport coaches um, as the product gets built out. I think that's great. Yeah. You know, what you're doing with pace and having that AI experience recommendations based on your activity within Training Peaks, like the feedback back to the coach, and then having it automatically pivot with your schedule and not having the coach have to sit there and move everything around. Historically, or... we've had both ends of the spectrum, but no offering in the middle. We've had static training plans, you know, for $40 for 12 weeks that don't adapt or change with your lifestyle. And then we've had on the other end of the spectrum, you know, one-on-one -on -one premium level coaching, which is never going to go away and will always be the best option. You know, that individualized training 
that cost several hundred dollars or more a month. But there's a lot of people that want kind of a blend of the both. They want to pay you know, less than a few hundred dollars a month, but they want something that adapts to their lifestyle. They don't need the daily check-in. You know, and so there's a big opportunity in the middle for the technology to really play a part. And that's really what we're, we've been working on right now. Have you seen an influx of coaches coming on board and athletes? No, absolutely. I mean, the coach market's very strong. We've had our best year ever. You know, it continues to grow. We set new records around uh, onboarding, you know, coaches. Um, there's still a lot to do within the career path of coaching. You know, it's actually very yeah. young, you know, to have a coaching license and the very first, you know, for-profit coaching businesses are now approaching you know, 20 years old, but really the majority are, you know, five to 10 years old, you know what I mean? It's still a young kind of career path, if you will. Um, and there's a lot of great things yet to come. And so, yeah, certainly we've seen a lot of growth on the coach side. Certainly the athlete side has grown a lot. I think on the athlete side, we've always had a big name in cycling triathlon, but now running is growing and other sports, you know, heard that a lot of runners are using training peaks, which you know, I think love it. The yeah. running has evolved, you know, a lot. It used to be the only thing they want to spend money on was, you know, entry fees and a cheap pair of shoes, right? Now the right. shoes are $400, you know, and they're buying a $400 watch, you know, a GPS watch. They're really, you know, adopting technology. And then they see the value of coaching more. And it used to be like, oh, I'm part of a club where I get a free training plan, you know, off the web and yeah, that's fine. But a free training plan off the web is really just the middle ground. It's the, you know, it's the middle of the bell curve. And so if it, it's, it's right for a small sliver of folks, but there are a lot of people on the right and left of that curve that it's not really for. So individualized training is the same, no matter what sport you're taking up, you know? So I think runners, you know, the culture of running has certainly evolved and they're, they're now accepting, you know, individual coaching more. And I just interviewed Ryan Hall, you know, who, right. That was a great, great conversation. Yeah. Thanks. You know, and, and, and he coaches Sarah Hall and he has a coaching business and those type of folks are really kind of changing the way runners think as well. Yeah. You know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking like, you know, the seventies running boom, and just people throwing on a pair of shoes, right? And like, it was very subculture, yeah. just out there kind of concept. It's like, you see someone running and they're crazy, like, you know, in your neighborhood. And now it went totally mainstream. Well, also, you know, running, there's subcultures within running. There's the trail running, you know, the ultra running and the the European sky, sky series and, so that's really evolved a lot. And, you know, these like trail runners, they want to know how much vertical gain per hour their VAM. You know, that's something like yeah. running New York City. You don't think about VAM. Like, right. are you doing 2,000 feet an hour going uphill or 3,000 feet an hour going uphill? You know, that's something that right. like I actually have on my Garmin and I look at when I run. Um, right. Well, Garmin so, has really changed the game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the watch and the data is like next level. 
Yeah. And when you're on the trails, you think of data differently because you can't sit at a 730 pace. Like you're working off different metrics and you're really focused on RPE and the effort at hand. Whether you're going uphill hiking, you know, you can't run up every single hill. You have to power hike, you know, the steep stuff or rocks, rocky sections. Um, So that brings a whole new dynamic to running that actually, you know, some, you know, can bleed over to marathoning. You know, there's things to, that can benefit both ways, back and forth, the different ways of looking at running, you know. Um, so that's really been exciting growth within running as well. And you have all that great data on training peaks that people yeah. can look at and analyze. But you also are a huge proponent of the human element and how do you feel yeah. and so it's great the kind of juxtaposition of both the data and then how you feel and looking at those things together. I like that, that, that question. It's like prompted every time you finish a workout, it's like auto prompt, right? Like how did yeah, you feel? Well, you know, you took the words out of my mouth, so you don't <laughs> need, you don't need me around, but that's exactly what we do. We ask you, I might've been on training peaks too long. Yeah. <laughs> how did you feel? What was the relative effort? Those are two, you know, really important questions. And it means a lot to even go beyond that and put into the comments, you know, how you felt, um, you know, good or bad. Um, what else is going on that may be attributing to if you're feeling bad, stress in life, et cetera. You know, that it's, it's almost like what's between the workouts is more important than the actual workout that you do. You know, because it has right. a big bearing on how you will perform in your workout as well as on race day. But it all comes back to what happened between your workouts. Um, if right. things are going horribly wrong, it needs to be accounted for within your training program. And that, again, that's where like a training plan can't really adapt, right? That's where right. a human coach can come in and a human coach can help decipher all this that's going on in your life and then interpret that into a proper training program for you going forward. Yeah, I absolutely believe in that. Not enough athletes put in comments of how they feel, um, which are super important. I think it's great too, when you go back and review a time period, if you go back and look at this month last year, you can kind of read the comments and see where your head was at. I was just going to ask you, can you download this into like an Excel spreadsheet? Yes, you can. I want to see in front of me like a dashboard of like all the, the, my heart rate, all the times it was at 140 and what all my comments were where, when oh. my heart rate was at 140, something like that. Like, I'd love to see if I'm complaining or if I'm like excited or like if at my, when my heart rate is 165 and, you know, maybe it was a hot day or like, I'd love to add the you know, have a feature with the temperature. I don't know. I like to look at numbers, even though I do it very rarely, like have all the data, but every now and then I am, you know, I'll take a step back and look at all the data, but I don't know if that's something that is in training peaks where I could like look at it in that way as a visual. You know, you can, um, go into an individual file in training peaks and mark it up. And so if at one section you felt bad and your stomach was you know, really messed up or whatever, you could highlight that and then mark it and kind of like, um, mark up the workout. And so I do that often, especially for races, I'll go into a race file 
and I'll think through like how I felt or what was my strategy within the race. And I'll mark that up within the file itself. So it's saved. And it's kind of like additional comments. So over on the lower right, when you look at a file, there's usually all the intervals that are listed. Well, you can create and mark up your own intervals, but you could just type and put comments. Like my stomach was, you know, I vomited right here, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you can put that into the file. And then yeah. that's, a, that's a little bit of a diary for you. And it's like a diary entry. Yeah. You can go back and look at the file and then work through your comments. So when you do that race next year, I do that every time, yeah. you know, I repeat a race. I always go back to previous files of when I did that race to see my comments. And then it helps me refine my nutrition, my strategy, you know, for this year's race. Yeah. I always write a race debrief and then I sort of, I don't do it to that level. That's a good idea actually, but I do write in the, the notes. Did training peaks start with triathlon and cycling and then move into running or like what sports were the original sports and how many sports do you have now? I started it as a cycling coach. My father was coaching cycling, running triathlon. We had a, a group of coaches and we needed a better way to manage all the data. And I just, you know, said, hey, we need to create something on the web. And this was 1999. So when we went live in early 2000, you know, our pre I, I guess majority of our athletes, we only had maybe 30 athletes when we launched, right. you know, within our coaching group. So most of them were triathletes. Um, and then as we started to sell it to other coaches, I think the first coaches that really took to it were triathlon coaches. The beauty of triathlon in 19 or the yeah. year 2000, you know, is that it was fresh and new. There was no tradition and they triathletes just adopted. They still do triathletes adopt new technology. They're the first to spend the most money to get the newest technology. And so they were the first to adopt training peaks and really we didn't, you know, our first like Tour de France cycling team came on board in like 2005. And that then really opened the doors for cycling for us. So yeah, that's kind of how we started out. Um, certainly today though, we have, we have an entire F1, you know, team on, we have NASCAR, you know, drivers, we have, you know, people that climb Mount Everest and are trying to set records up, you know, climbing routes in the Himalayas, you know, or on training peaks. So the diversity of the athletes on board is all over the map. I kind of say, if you, if your event is more than a mile and yeah. you care about heart rate or speed at all, or pace, um, then you're a prime training peaks candidate. Or if you, I, yeah, I, I'd also say like a lot of people obviously grew up using Strava. Um, and so, but they get to a point where they're not sure what to do tomorrow. And they know that right. just racing their buddy every single day up the, up the climb is probably not the best way to go, especially if they have a goal in an event that's several months right. away. So once you get the question in your head, what should I do tomorrow to optimize my training fitness for a certain event? then that's really our sweet spot where we, where we can come in and we actually are complimentary then to, you know, the Strava's of the world. I mean, and training peaks was it started before, way before Strava, but yeah. I mean, yeah, but a lot of people are on Strava using it similarly, yeah. but you can't really set up a plan with a goal and train yeah. towards it. 
but I also love the workouts that you have right in the back end of Training Peaks, like where, you know, obviously you have running, biking, swimming, and brick and all the things that coaches need to add to someone's calendar. But I, I noticed you added walk. You have uh, cross training. I mean, you probably added those a long time ago, but I probably just noticed them. And I was wondering when you might add yoga because I have to use the other feature every <laughs> I know. week. <laughs> I brought that up yesterday. Uh, trying to push that into the product development timeline. Um, yeah, either other or custom. And, and we do have a tagging system that not a lot of people know about. So you can create a tag like on the web um, yoga and then you can just select tags so that when you go do a search, you can search by that tag, for example. Thanks for the voice of customer. Yeah, no, I don't, I'm not allowed to wear my heart rate monitor on my watch during yoga because it's not supposed <laughs> to be a workout, but That's I do put it in my calendar and it does yeah. count towards something. Recovery. I mean, it's, it's strength, but also, you know, relaxation. It's hard. Hopefully. Yeah. 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 But none of it counts allegedly. You know, in addition to training peaks, you also have this amazing podcast, right? That's called CoachCast nice. that you mentioned a couple times. I love it. Talk to me a little bit about CoachCast and some of the fun and interesting guests you've connected with and who you're looking to connect with in 20 Yeah, well, I already mentioned Ryan Hall. That was a recent interview. He's the fastest American marathoner ever. His wife is second or third fastest female marathoner. He holds the record for the fastest American half marathon at 59 minutes. Um, he was fascinating because he went from a 128-pound marathoner to a 200-pound muscle guy. You know, he's a, now the guy's big kind of bodybuilder muscle, muscle head, if you will. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. But you know, the Olympics were this year. So after the Olympics, I uh, there's Erold Tveiten, who's the Norwegian national triathlon coach. And Norway won the Olympics in Tokyo, the men's um, individual. And that was Christian Blumenfeld. He's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And now what, within the last few weeks, he did his very first debut Ironman and went 720. It was like 720 something. That's the fastest ever. ever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, in the world. and so, yeah. And the Norwegians just have been amazing. You know, there's other athletes. Iden, Iden is his last name, I think, the other, the other guy. Um, but anyways, yeah, just the program and how they developed, you know, a world-class program on a very, very small budget. And how when they started the program, there were only like 15 juniors in the entire country racing triathlon. And they effectively, by default, became the national team. <laughs> so that was an interesting uh, interview. Um, I mentioned my father, you know, it's always difficult interviewing a parent, but uh, interviewed my father about, you know, fast after 50 and lessons learned. And he's now mid seventies and still training with purpose every single day. I think so, that's amazing. Yeah. He's doing awesome. Same with my mom, you know, they, they, ride their bikes every morning and they play golf every afternoon. <laughs> he does a group training ride like every weekend. So he gets pushed to the limits, you know, the local group in Sedona. So yeah. And then, you know, a really good longtime friend of mine that I went to school with, Inigo Samian, he's here in Colorado, but he coaches the Tour de France team, United Arab Emirates. 
and he coaches the winner of the Tour de France for the past two seasons. After, and that athlete's name is Tade Pojakar, and he's Slovenian. You know, I was, I was seeing how the Tour de France was developing in, in 2020 last year. And I, you know, it was, it was fairly obvious that Tade was going to be top three. So I reached out to Inigo and I was like, hey, can I interview you on Monday, the day after the tour ends? And so he agreed and his athlete won the Tour de France on Sunday. And I interviewed Inigo on Monday and we released the podcast on Tuesday. And I was like the very first interview, you know, with the coach of the winner of the Tour de France. So I think what I try to do is try and get, you know, there's a story behind the result and it's not always pretty. And I don't always want to focus on the numbers, you know, what intervals did they do, but like the fundamentals and like the story behind the results is what I'm trying to get at. And I don't always interview coaches, you know, I certainly interview athletes as well, but I'm trying to get at how have they managed their progression and what are lessons learned from their career or their big victory they just had, or, you know, they're not all Olympic champions that I interviewed either, but like, there's something to be learned. That's so interesting, you know, that you talk to the coaches of these top athletes and the athletes. Sometimes I've seen you do it together to hear both perspectives, you know, and how they both got to this place. Cause even the athletes winning, the coaches winning. Yeah, too. exactly. And there's so much going on behind the scenes and it's so much more than what intervals did they choose to perform? You know, there's so much, it's like, that's almost, almost the last thing that matters. You know, how did they manage the rest of their life, you know, in order for them to be able to focus on this one event or, you know, or, you know, oftentimes it's years and years of development, you know, and how did they manage their career path to get to that point? And, you know, a lot of psychology, there's certainly sports psychologists I've interviewed and like, how do you manage the inner demons, you know, and we all have to manage the inner Negative demons. self-talk. Yeah. You know, and I think that's very fascinating how, you know, how we can learn to better deal with our you know, again, the inner demons, if you will, but to better manage and create positive energy going forward. When you do realize there's negative energy going on, how can you like yeah. recognize that and somehow change that position moving forward um, to make the situation better? You know, how do you do that? Oh man, I think, well, in the actual moment, heat of the moment, like pain in the race, when I was racing professionally, you know, I moved to Belgium when I was 19 years old and it was a different sport. Like I went from racing juniors in Colorado to Belgium, snow, rain, cobblestone, mud, crazy, windy races. And I, 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 I for whatever reason, I kind of learned to kind of like have the outer body experience. Like I, I distinctly remember like having that pain and kind of trying to get out and above and looking at the race from above and looking down as a third person on myself. And so to try and like separate myself from that pain. And, and it's, it's literally like it's second by second. It might be a four hour bike race, 
but it's like you're just concentrating on that next second that next second next second it's just like all these micro kind of milestones you're going through or getting to the next town getting to the next aid station is like the goal and you get to that aid station and what's my purpose in this aid station okay i've got five miles to the next aid station what is my purpose going to be when i get to that aid station you know and so having purpose in every single moment is something that i try and focus on a lot i love that live every moment with purpose Switching gears, before we go, I wanted to get your advice on layering. I know you spend a ton of time outside training, so I thought you'd be the perfect person to ask. Like as a cyclist, the first kind of two things I think about are what's the wind going to be? Okay. Am I going into a headwind, tailwind? Is it a calm day or a windy day? That has a lot to play with temperature on the bike. Um, obviously, you're going to create your own wind by cycling right. but you could be going very slow at 10 miles per hour into a, a really cold headwind so that's gonna dictate like a wind layer or not um and then also very close to that is is you know moisture rain sleet humidity so you know that's that's kind of the first two things i think about more than the actual temperature itself is a, a more around um you know, and you can have obviously hot wind in Texas and it doesn't matter. Right. But, you know, a right. cold wind with humidity, with rain, you need like that outer layer is like super important. But then it also becomes, I think a lot of people overdress and yep. it can almost be just as bad to be overdressed as underdressed. You know I mean? Because you create all that sweat underneath, you're holding it in. And then if you do turn around, you know, you've been in a tailwind and you turn around, you're coming into a headwind now and you have all that moisture from all your sweat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is a bad thing. And I think I've learned the most about it from skiing because we are literally the high temperature for a ski race might be 10 degrees. And when you're going downhill, it's going to be negative some 10 degrees, okay. right? And so in ski racing, like we never, ever want to get moist and it might be 15 degrees, but our, we're, we're in Lycra and we're unzipped and we're letting that, that moisture sweat escape. And so the base layer becomes really important. No cotton, you know, for me, I use, I literally have like wool, like super thin, soft, you know, wool undershirts, you know, short sleeve, but they were like a cycling, um, you know, undershirt, but they're yeah. really thin, but they can quickly dry and kind of evaporate that, that moisture. So I think for cycling, it's also important to, it's the same. I unzip a lot, you know, and you see a lot of the tour France riders like in the cold, you know, when it's cold, dry, they can still unzip and let that um, sweat evaporate on the uphill so that when they hit the downhill, they don't have all this moisture. They're still going to be wet, you know, from sweat, but that's where you need to layer up on the descent. So I think, again, like pro cyclists, they are switching clothes all the time. You see them yeah. take on and off, you know, their outer layer, they unzip, they might have an outer layer, you know, a, a rain vest, then 
or a long sleeve rain, then they'll have an actual vest. They can take both of those off and then unzip, you know, full zip, like full zip is right. super nice with a nice, you know, quality base layer. Um, so really it's about the base layer and the outer layer, the two most important layers. And then there may be a layer in between. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have these thermal cycling jackets that I never mm-hmm. wear. It's amazing. I'd rather go with like two or three layers than one thick layer. Because if you have to get rid of the thick layer, then you're totally screwed, basically, because then you just have the other layer. Yeah, the thick layer is going to get wet and then it's going to get cold. And, you know, to be able to just take off layers um, and put them back on as necess- as needed. So where do you put them? Do you- well, so my vest folds up super tight and small. And it can go, it can easily go in one of my cycling pockets with a phone with it. You know, it's not taking up a whole pocket. Okay. My outer layer, which is long sleeve, I can still put in a pocket, but if my pockets are full, I can quickly just stuff it underneath, like under my back, you know, like underneath my Jersey in the back. Yeah. Just cyclists get good at like uh, being resourceful. You know, they put water bottles right here. When I go out on a run, I look like I'm 30 pounds heavier because by the time I get out of Battery Park, I've taken off all my layers and they're tucked into pockets and in my shirt and tied Uh, around my waist. I have this amazing Patagonia long sleeve jacket that like folds up to like that, like in the palm of my fist. That's amazing. And it's super micro light and I can actually stuff it in like, like the waistband of my shorts. It'll just like sit right there. So I might warm up with it and then I take it off. And then when I cool down, I'll take it off and, you know, put it back on. And it has a hood. I love hoods. Like hoods for running are where it's at. Like I inevitably, no matter what run I do, I end up with like nothing on my head because I warm up. But when you start out, you're cold. And when you cool down, you're cold. So I love having, I love um, long sleeve light layers that have a hood and then this Patagonia jacket I told you about has a hood. Hoods are awesome. And like a headband that can cover, like a bigger headband that can cover your ears, but it's more like a Lycra, like a thin headband. Um, Cause you inevitably take it off and put it back on. So. Do you wear anything under your bike helmet? Like when you're out yeah, riding or you. I you have a thin, depends on. I'm talking cold. For the weather. most part, I just have again the headband I talked about that covers my ear. Yeah. And my head will be exposed, like the crown of my head will be exposed through the helmet. Right. And I, for the most part, I, I think that's fine. If it's bitter cold, then I put on a full, like hat, but it's a thinner, like skull cap is what they call them, like a okay. skull cap. Yeah. Um, that's not. It's not thick. And then bitter, bitter cold rides, I will. I have an extra. It's kind of a rubberized helmet cover, but you put it over the helmet because you don't want the wind coming through the like vents. Like two covers, but a helmet. Yeah, cover. it's a, it's like Jiro, I think, makes some and a yeah. couple others. It's super small and tight, and you can just you can quickly put it on, just to keep the wind from going through the helmet. And then if you need, you can take it off, you know, Ooh, later in the good. ride. Um, but a helmet cover can do wonders because the wind, yeah. you know, protection from your head. That's the number one thing. That's why you get cold. Yeah. That is such great advice. This has been truly awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast.
Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 